Hi, I'm Scott. I'm Seth. And I'm Sonia. And this is Track Walking. Tonight, we have a 15-year-old motorcycle racer, Sonia Lemke. Sonia, how are you? Good. Uh, fun fact to listeners, this is the second time you've actually been on the show. Uh, would you care to tell the people why this is the first time they're actually hearing from you? Well, the first time we were we were stuck in Austin when the snowstorm hit, which everyone yeah. knows about because they realized that Texas can't handle snow. And, That's um, a fact. We were going to do a podcast, and then we realized yep. about an hour in, we weren't recording. So... You're, you're being very kind because you say we weren't recording. Um, As in Scott I, wasn't recording. I was not recording. <laughs> it was my responsibility and I, we had a good show going. It was about a, we were about an hour into it too, I think. <laughs> so you go to school, you do all the things I'm sure uh, a teenage young woman does but in your spare time you do things on motorcycles yes why do you do that why why is that (laughs) something that you do um probably there's a lot of adrenaline to it like i'm not an adrenaline junkie but like there is that part of it and my dad sucked me into it basically so yeah yeah, you guys have a few bikes. I want how how many bikes do does your family currently have in their possession? Thirteen, maybe. Hmm. I think. That's a lot of bikes. Yeah. You you let her have the mic, Seth. You uh, <laughs> you're not going to be able to defend here. No, it was right. I was just, we were doing, uh, I was looking at the levels. I was doing full Adam Jube there and I was like, wait, levels are slightly too high. So I was going to, I was, it was, a, I was gently adjusting microphone position. So if, uh, if Jube listens to this, he's my spirit animal tonight. There you go. Levels, levels, levels. So you, you guys ride motorcycles largely on go-kart tracks. Is that correct? Yes. So what kind of bikes did you start with? And was it on this go-kart track? Or where did you actually start riding? I started riding around the yard, like like most people do. Um, just riding around the yard. And then we got tires on and a small dirt bike, an XR70. Okay. Just a, a little pit bike, like you'd see in uh, race car paddocks and stuff. And, um, so we put cheap scooter tires on it and then we went to the track with full gear and everything because you have to have that. Yeah. Scooter tires. I didn't know that was a thing you could put on motorcycles. (laughs) Yeah. They're, they're generally cheap and they're pretty sticky and they work pretty well. There you go. And just, just to cut in here, the, the key behind scooter tires on that is the, the XR70 or CRF70, same bike. They just have a different, just depending on when it was built. Um, they come with a 14-inch front wheel and a 12-inch rear wheel. And mm. unless you want to relace the wheels so that they match and you can run, like, actual race rubber on them, 
they've got these narrow odd size wheels which you can find dirt tires for super easy but you can't find a matching set of street tires for those rim sizes so you have to troll through billions of pages of of tires on the internet until you find like the two weird tires that happen to be approximately the right size that you can throw on your kid's dirt bike to turn it into a track bike it's a very scientific process and the good thing is the the honda xr70 has approximately three and a half horsepower so essentially it's not much now any tire that's made of rubber has enough grip for the bike so that's the that's the advantage with it um so yeah there whenever you start doing tiny dirt bikes on a go-kart track there's a whole bunch of weird stuff you have to deal with and odd wheel sizes is the first one so you take your small slow bike with your weird cart tires on them and you go to the track for the first time full gear other people are there i assume there's other cart people not a whole lot of motorcycle people Generally, okay. there'll be some people there. I think it was during the week, so not a lot of people there. And at the okay. end, or the start of summer, so it's hot. It's getting hot, so no one's there. Yeah. What Did you have any expectations of that? Like, what when you were going in, were you just really excited? Were you nervous? A little bit of nerves. Definitely excited. Nerves, like anyone has going out on track for the first time but it wasn't bad and no expectations of what it would be like because there's there's no way to tell what it'll be like without being there sure did you have to go through the whole flags like these are what the flags mean and all that kind of driver meeting stuff before you went out no you don't do that until race day (laughs) okay nice so at the end of your first day riding on track did you want to keep doing it yeah yeah it was it was definitely fun it was definitely different than anything else was one thing like no one else does this so it was definitely an interesting experience and definitely knowing that you're the only one who does this that you know is kind of exciting yeah for sure so as you continued to ride uh, you eventually got into racing, and you were riding with other kids your age, kids who are younger than you, kids like your dad who are much older than you. Um, what's what's it like being on track with such a diverse age range all around you, kind of riding the same bikes, though? Um... They're only mostly the same bikes. Weirdly enough, generally the kids have really fast bikes. Um, the adults have fast bikes, depending on the adults, um, fast or slow bikes. But the thing is, riding motorcycles, you always have a very diverse group of of people on track. There's never like, here you have the kids on track, and then you have these people on track. It's always a mix of everyone. Mm-hmm. So really going out and racing and riding with everyone wasn't very different than just riding normally. Hmm. Do you f- 
how does everybody get along? Because that's certainly not something we see a whole lot in the track community. We do have a decent age range, but I mean, everybody's certainly 18 years and older, most always. So we really don't have like the eight, you don't have an eight year old driving around a race course <laughs> while everybody is doing HPD and stuff like that. So what's does everybody generally get along? I mean, what's what's that culture like? It's generally it's really a small group of people, so everyone really tends to get along. You have you have your groups of people. All the kids hang out together. So, we'll be in pods of of children running around and uh the adults will do like take care of the bikes as the children are running around in pods. And um so everyone gets along surprisingly well. Like you'd think there'd be weird groups and stuff, but not really. Like you can go up and talk to anyone and everyone knows everyone really. So it's it's pretty nice. And I know your your dad Seth here has has mentioned that he really tries to help other young riders and help kind of coach and encourage and instruct. Have you found that to be the case with most of the adults there? Yeah, so one thing about my dad is he rides bikes. And the other the other dads ride bikes uh sometimes, but they don't ride bikes with their kids. So it's hmm. really a lot different experience than the other dads have cuz the other dads like stand on the side of the track and can only see what they can see from the side of the track. So my dad really it's a lot better because you can tell what I'm doing. And if there's something wrong, he knows what I'm doing wrong and then can change it because he sees what I'm doing. Because he's out on track with you? Yeah, so the of the kids riding, probably at least half of them, um, although their dads are motorcyclists, all of them are, their, their dads aren't actively riding with them when we're at, at track days or race weekends. Um, and actually, it's most of the older kids, like 17, 18-year-olds, whose dads uh, ride with them. Most of the, the younger kids who are um, 8, 10, 12 years old, their parents are, are watching and being very supportive and doing all that stuff, but they aren't physically on track with them. And I think you know just from coaching people, um, coaching someone from track side is different than coaching someone from being on track with them. You see different things and you experience it differently. So, um, yeah, Sonia's always, that's the thing is, is I've, I've always been on track with her since the very first time she put a motorcycle on track. I was, I was 10 feet behind her going out on track and, you know, we're not always out there at the same time. We race some slightly different classes, but we do race wheel to wheel with each other when we're in the same class um so it's it's definitely a different i think it's a different uh, parent child dynamic when you are uh racing with your kid and actively trying to beat your kid um but also trying to s the, the act of beating your kid is is a process of trying to make your kid better um giving them a win doesn't really make them better but when they actually do become better than you they know they earned it, um, and that's a, a different thing. Sonia's actually faster than me now on, on any bike we both ride. Um, she's 
it, it took her a little over a year and she became noticeably better than me. So that's been a super fun process. So I, I won't ask you to kind of explain why the other parents don't necessarily ride on track with their kids because you're not those people. But what what have you found are the benefits of having your dad out there riding with you? Well, he started riding before me, so he knew the fundam- fundamentals before me and knew new lines especially was the big thing. So he can... He could ride behind me and tell me what lines I was doing wrong and how to fix them, even though I was going slow at that point. Like, the first thing you learn is is lines. So mm-hmm. having him know where I was slower was, especially when we were on equal machinery, it was way easier for him to to follow me or me be behind him, and I could tell where I was slower and where I could be faster and when running data, we can overlay data and tell where where the where I'm losing time, where I'm gaining time. Sure. I, f- I feel like that would give you the ability to, I mean, you always kind of have a rabbit. You can always kind of see where on track you are better and where you can improve and things like that. I would I would imagine that would really help speed up the learning process for you. Yeah, it really did. Um, there were a couple times where we would look at data after we were done and go over where I was slower and how I can do that better. And Because you would know my lines through there and know how I could do it better. So it really did help speed all that up. So that's, that's one of those things as a parent when you're teaching a kid anything. Um, to say this is one of the reasons I love data to say you know like if you do this differently it will be better and no matter what you're trying to teach your kid it seems like about 80% of the time they just look at you and they're like yeah right dad I know what I'm doing I got this and, and it's just it's a right. natural thing I'm sure I'm sure you did it with your dad too right like when you were trying to learn something and your dad was like just do this and you're like I understand how to do it I got this but if you can show your kid data and go through this corner you lose six tenths of a second to me because you let off the gas early or, you know, earlier than I do. And then your kid's sort of forced to be like, oh, man, you're you're right. It's it's uh, it's it's the ultimate uh, dad uh, power move to show your kid on data where you're a little bit faster than them. It's pretty awesome. (laughs) I bet you enjoy that very much. (laughs) So. As you've been learning about bikes, um, what has been one of the hardest things that you've had to learn or get over or adapt to as you've been getting faster and faster? Really one of the main things, because once you're on a bike, a lot of the stuff stays the same. Learning to drag knee the first time is difficult because it feels weird and it's different yeah. than anything you've ever done because that's not how you normally do things on on anything with two wheels. You you don't touch the ground. That's the point of having yeah. the wheels. Um, but one of the big things was when we went to different chassis, to the GP chassis, um, learning how to ride those was really difficult because it was totally different than dirt bikes. 
so, so going from so dirt bikes are very relaxed and upright and then the the sport bikes are more aggressive so you use a lot more core muscles and arm muscles to move the bikes around hmm. and so going especially for me i went from a lighter bike to a heavier bike so like suddenly moving around 20 more pounds of weight and doing it with different muscles was really difficult and how did i guess how did you overcome that how you know be, besides just like i don't know doing crunches or whatever like how do you actually learn how to handle the bike differently you really it's a lot of practice so you do it a lot and you learn how to relax on the bike that's a really big thing is learning how you can get into a comfortable position and relax on the bike so you're not tense all the time and working those muscles as much so that was a really big thing of learning how to relax on the bike and get in a good body position so you can relax I think one of the things that uh, parents forget, and this is one of the, it, it took me a while to remember it as well, is the when you're riding motorcycles, your body is a significant portion of the weight of what's going on. Um, most people who are used to riding road bikes are used to riding bikes that weigh at least twice what weight, what they do. So if you if you weigh, you know, 150 pounds, a 300 pound road bike is actually a pretty light road bike. So you weigh about half of what that weighs. When we ride minis, um, my NSF 100 or the XR 100, with gear on, I weigh basically exactly what the bike weighs. I weigh about 175 pounds with gear on. So the bike and I weigh the same amount. And so my ability to move the bike around um, is is proportional to that. So that that's it. The bike and I weigh the same amount. If I put Sonia on the exact same motorcycle with gear on, you weigh about 100 pounds? Yeah. She weighs about 100 pounds with gear on. So she weighs, the, the bike doesn't weigh twice what she weighs, but it's pretty close. So me, so her on that NSF is, is much more like me riding a full-size sport bike proportionally. So when people think of the physicality, especially people who have listened to this, who have ridden minis, who have ridden little bikes and ridden big bikes, and, you, and everybody talks about how easy it is to ride a little bike because physically you can just move the bike so well. But... When you put your kids, your little kids that are 8, 9, 10 years old on a bike that weighs twice what they weigh, physically that's like them riding um, a sport bike. It's a, it's a really difficult proposition. And I think as parents we forget about that because we take our kids' bikes out and it's easy because now the bike weighs what we weigh or weighs less than what we weigh and, and you just throw it around basically like a bicycle and it feels easy to ride. Um, and that's been, it's always something that I have to remind myself. People usually go, oh, well, you know, they're lighter, so the bike accelerates more, and that's why they're faster. Um, and I have a bunch of people, you know, when Sonia beats me when we're riding the same bike, they say, oh, that's just because she's lighter. And I have to point out that, no, she accelerates more because she's lighter, but she's faster around the track because she's better at me than riding right now. She has different physical challenges that I don't have mm -hmm to make a bike actually go faster on the track. Um, so it's, as, as someone who's teaching, you always have to keep that sort of thing in the back of your mind that, that people are facing different physical challenges than you on a particular motorcycle. 
Yeah, so I mean, if we take away, like in a car, if we take away the idea of uh, manual steering or manual brakes, you put someone lighter in the car, they're going to go faster because they can still turn the car. They can still push a little accelerator pedal. That that stuff largely doesn't matter. You just have less weight to um, to slow you down. But on a bike, from what I'm hearing, um, you know, acceleration, sure, like you said, can definitely go back faster. But into braking and on turn and everything like that, like you have to really handle that extra weight that's on top of that you're on top of because it doesn't have four tires it doesn't lean on the outside you have to physically help tip it in and balance yourself front to rear on it yeah yeah so really really figuring out how to to get the bike turned in because some bikes you really do depending on the tires and how the tires are shaped um, you have to pull the bike in more or less. So really getting that first, it's either the first or the last part of the bike turn in. It requires that extra little bit that having more weight, you can pull the bike in easier. You can, you can, with your body, you can kind of decide where that load's going to be to help you turn and corner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, stuff I don't have to deal with. That's <laughs> like we talked about pre-show. I mean, I could have like adjustable ballast in the car, I guess, but that'd get a little weird. So how long was it before you did your first legit race? Um, It was three months, three or four months, I think. Oh between when I started riding and the first race. Okay. And was that, like for you, was that just, always... Just to, just to yeah. interrupt really quickly, the, the most fun story with that is the fact that um, two weeks prior to her first race is when I fell off the ground and broke my collarbone. So uh, I had I had my, my collarbone screwed together 10 days before her first race. And I actually had to enlist the help of friends to get the bike safety wired and get the bike to the track. I couldn't, I couldn't load or unload the bike. I couldn't safety wire it. I couldn't do any of that stuff. And she was desperately wanting to race motorcycles. And I was completely high on opiates asking my friends to, uh, to help get this bike ready for her. So uh, to Derek, when you hear this, thanks, Derek. You made it all possible. Um, were you always hopeful to do a race when you started or like, did you know that's what you were going to end up doing? Yeah, that's kind of the end goal of it is like, this is the race schedule. We'll do this, this race at the very end and figure out what it's like. So no matter your speed, you can always race. So that's the one thing with motorcycles. You have speeds, like everyone has different speeds. So even if you're slow, you can go and race and you'll be at the back, but you still get to start and you still get to do your six to eight laps and and finish the race, take checkers. Yeah. I like that attitude that you, you know, you're not racing for the win, but you're, you're in the race. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's actually like 
that's important. <laughs> You're actually participating. And no, there may not be a trophy for participating, but it's like, but you were there, you were doing the thing. Yeah. What's, um, so you do, well, let's talk about this. You do two different kinds of racing. You do sprint racing, then you do endurance racing. Can yes. you talk a little bit about those two disciplines, I'll say? So endurance racing, we have mainly four-hour races. We have one six-hour race and so you have a team of one to five riders normally there's three or four because um, that's the easiest way to do it and then you ride your bike for as many laps as you can and you switch riders and you refuel just like you would in car endurance racing so you have to you still have to refuel and you still mm -hmm. have to switch you still have to switch riders and it's basically all there is to it. You just go around for as long as you can. Try to not crash. Right. As one does. Yeah. And what do you, what do you find the, why do you like endurance racing better than sprint racing and we'll we'll do the the reverse here but what what keeps you doing endurance racing endurance racing it's like uh it's like a practice session with a ton of other people on on track so you're doing we did 30 minute stints normally this last endurance race which is mm -hmm. way more manageable than the 45 to an hour long stints we we're doing last year oh my because we had no idea how to organize it and otherwise you won't get that much time on the bike sure. uh, that's what you have but that's what happens when you're on a team with four other boys uh so mm. Mm. so in endurance racing you're always racing someone you're always getting passed by someone and so it's continuous racing and then you have to figure out you can wait for a really long time to pass someone you don't have to and you set up passes very slowly you follow people you figure out where their weaknesses are and where to pass them so it's nice it's like again it's like a long practice session where you're always racing against someone so it really helps you know how to pass people so almost the racecraft aspects you're able to really learn because you have not only so many opportunities but you have so much time to really think through it yeah so so yeah it's a lot about racecraft which is kind of why this year we have again our team of kids is so we learn the racecraft behind it and get better at sprint racing what are the starts like between sprint racing and endurance racing because sprint racing obviously i mean finite amount of time i i would imagine being that's something that i do that it's just you've got to go now you don't have that time that you were talking about in endurance racing um but what what are the starts like what are what are your different strategies there so for endurance racing i've done only one start on endurance racing so i actually know how it is sort of um okay. for starts you just have to make sure you get off the line 
when I started, we had 17 bikes on the on the grid. So really big grid for bikes. Um, so you start and try to get to the first corner clean, and then other people will pass you, and then you just fall into a rhythm. And then with sprint racing, it's you try to get the best start as you can off the line so you can pass as many people or stay in front of as many people as you can on the start. So it's a lot more fast-paced. You really want to get a good start. And in, in endurance racing, you really don't have to. Like, you can sure. get a good start, but it's not necessary. Now, if I understand correctly, the kind of endurance racing that you do is multi-class racing? Yeah, so we're all on track at the same time, but for championship points, we have different classes. So there's six different classes, I think. Okay. So so they're in four diff- three different main groups. Um but but we're all on track at the same time. So it, it, with class it really doesn't matter what class you're in because you're all on track at the same time. It's really just for championship points that it matters. I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. So what has sprint racing taught you or why why do you like sprint racing better than endurance racing? With sprint racing, you get to do starts a lot. You end up getting really good at starts and it's really fast paced, which is nice. You you're trying to push as hard as you can, which you don't get in in endurance racing. So it's much more of a race. So that's the biggest part of it is the biggest difference is it's more of a race than endurance racing is Mm -hmm. and you get to race a lot more in in sprint racing so even though they're short races you can sign up for so many classes that that you get a ton of track time with a ton of different people sure and do you like that intensity that comes with sprint racing yeah i tend to actually do better on track when i'm racing someone so it's it's fun when you're chasing somebody or trying to keep someone behind you? Both. I, I'm faster both both ways. So it's, it's something about that direct competition that kind of literally drives you to do better? Yeah, I tend to be very competitive. So having someone to chase or try to stay in front of really makes you push that last little bit that normally during practice you're like "Eh, I don't need to do that sure do you play other sports I did I played basketball Mm -hmm. and I ran cross country and track did do you find the same impulse between sprint racing endurance racing and like having that direct competition really drive you did you looking back on it do you see that when you were playing basketball and running basketball what had a little bit less because it was much more of a team sport so you always have the whole team there with you Mm -hmm. so there was a lot less of the direct competition you'd get that like at the end of games when you really want to beat someone you get the direct competition but definitely in running like there's always like the one person that you want to beat you want to be at least be in front of some someone 
So there's a lot more of that competitiveness there. Where where else do you find that in your life? Do you find that in school? Do you find that with your brothers and sisters? Definitely in school. We'll have game nights uh, with family stuff, and we'll get competitive in those. It's all fun and games, but definitely super competitive. But It's all, it's all fun and games until say, somebody wins. <laughs> I say, would we say fun and games? Like... We have a significant percentage of game nights that end with at least one person in tears. And that's just kind <laughs> of... <laughs> I don't play a whole lot of family game nights because i uh, that's not my jam is to try to beat somebody until someone cries. But the entire rest of the family is very into that. Like Monopoly is just this savage, oh boy. savage game of alliances and... And different things, um, uh, yeah. There to say there's competitiveness amongst my children and my wife is a is a huge understatement. So, do you think you get that competitive streak from your mom? Yes. <laughs> that was not much hesitation. You looked up and to the right. No. Yes, absolutely. That is where it comes from. I hope she listens to this. Have you guys brought... Yeah, I'm sure she will. Have you guys, like, dared to bring Risk into the house? Um, every <laughs> every so often it happens. I normally don't play because Risk, Risk gets... Gets bad? Gets harsh. Yeah, it's bad. Um, So we rarely ever play that anymore. We okay. used to. It's such a long game. It takes forever. It does. So we rarely play that. Monopoly games can go on for a while too, though. <laughs> yeah, we we've gotten we've gotten pretty good at having fast Monopoly games. Like every so often, we'll have a long one, but like getting getting the trades done and getting those done fast, we've gotten good at that. Really, uh, really sprint race that, and then try just try to beat beat the competition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Okay. Okay. Um. So, the first time I actually met you in person was November at a track called NOLA in New Orleans, and you came out with your dad. You guys really slummed it in the SUV there, and you guys came out to the Grid Life event, the first Grid Life event at NOLA, to kind of hang out with Brian DeFries and me and just kind of soak up the environment. Um, what did you, what were your expectations coming into that weekend? I, I'd never been to car events before, so I never, I didn't really have expectations. It was really big. Like that was the one thing was everything was so much bigger than it was with anything with motorcycles, which was a lot different. Mm-hmm. But uh, I didn't really have expectations because I had never been to one of these events before. And what did you think of the event? It was interesting. Um, it was fun. It was really fun. Um, cars are a lot different. I got to do one session 
I rode along um, with Bob. I was about to say with Bob, yeah, and his Tiburon. Yeah. Yeah, cars, like riding along, they're just so much bigger than bikes are. And uh, the track was really big. That was the one thing was the track was gigantic. <laughs> but all the yeah. ever all the fundamentals were there. Yeah. So I watched one of your dad's um, or a video that was taken of you and your dad on a cart track. And the one thing that struck me is how little it was. <laughs> I mean, that cart track could literally fit in the center of only turns 13 and 14 at NOLA. Like that very end oh, as yeah, it I'm came sure. onto the back straight. Like that's that's where small bikes oh, yeah. race. <laughs> so you also, it struck me, and I know Becky got a kick out of it. Of all the things you could pack and bring, you brought sunglasses, which was good. But you brought a pyrometer to yes. your first car event that you've ever been. I know high-level time attack drivers who don't know what a pyrometer is. Sonia, why did you choose to bring a pyrometer to a racetrack? Well, we were we were going to help Brian with tire temperatures, playing with playing with pressures and trying to get the least amount of wear on his worn-out tires. Mm. And uh trying not to get to cords on them which we kind of did uh there was no avoiding that really (laughs) um (laughs) but it was also about experience learning what to do with car tires because they're definitely different from bike tires not a whole lot different but they definitely are yeah so maybe you could educate us a little bit on um pyrometer readings and car versus motorcycles like how how do you use a pyrometer on a motorcycle and how do you tune that so on motorcycles you take the edges of the tires normally and then you can move in a little bit to spots where you get the most most wear on the tires the most heat in them where you use the tires the most you don't use the center because you're rarely on the middle of the tire which is the one difference in between cars and bikes is cars you're going to use the middle of the tire mm-hmm. and you need to know what that temperature is. And so in bikes you can you can raise or lower the pressures to make the temperatures do different things. Generally if you want your tires to be hotter on motorcycle tires, you lower the pressures which will make the carcass flex more, which will get more more surface on the track, which will heat them up. You can raise them to get more heat in the tires, but generally you don't. Um, that would just be from then, more slip angle rather than... Yeah. I gotcha. So, like, depending on how you want your tires to move, you can raise or lower the pressures as well. And then you you raise the pressures generally to cool off the tires. So you have less tire on the ground. Mm-hmm. So you're generating less heat because... With race tires, you have a very short amount of, like, a a very short temperature range on where they work well. Okay. Like with car tires, you have an optimal optimal range uh, where where the heat works best, where the tires work best, depending on the heat. So you want that with your 
with the motorcycle tires and they work best in the temperature ranges. Sure. And then with car tires, you want the spread of heat more even across the tire. And then depending on what they do, you raise or lower the pressures. And I'm still like okay at car tires. I'm not great with them yet, but more practice and I'll figure them out. It seems it seems like that that can be something you would figure out with with relative ease. Um, are cars car racing? Is that something that intrigues you? Is that something that you would want to try someday? I'd want to try it. I don't know if I want to do it. Relatively, cars tend to be more expensive, which is why I'm like, why why are my why would I want to do cars when I can do bikes for so much cheaper? I can practice so much more on bikes and and all that stuff. Yeah, you've you've been hanging around with your dad too much. That's uh, almost verbatim what he says all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's fair. Totally fair. Having having said that, uh, all my kids have to autocross as part of their driver's training. So. Um, when Sonia gets her permit soon here, we will look at the autocross schedule and she's got to go to at least two autocross events and learn car things, car control things before I'm going to let her get a driver's license. So she definitely has car stuff coming up whether she likes it or not. Mm. Manual transmission? Yes. Fantastic. I want video of that. That'd be fun. So... You also, if I am up to date on my social media, you also just tried out for funsies some uh, some jumpy things and hilly things yes. and yeah and things like that. So I imagine like imagine that's like almost a different discipline <laughs> from track riding. Like you you had your yeah, it's... you had your like. I started in the yard roots, but this seems like a very different thing. What what, what was that like? Um, it was way different. There's so much more stuff you have to do. You really have to hang on to the bike and grip it with your legs a lot more, which is a lot different than you do with a, a road bike because you really move your legs a lot more on them. Mm -hmm. And so, so we went and rode in the woods first and... To know more about our part of Texas, there's no hills, like really at all. You get the odd hill every so often, but not a whole lot of hills. So when we went up to Austin this weekend with Brian DeFreeze, we did things with hills, which was a lot different. Um, so you learn how to go down a hill and then back up a hill. And uh, so that was interesting. What was the most challenging thing you found in doing these hills? Um, keeping your speed up going up a hill. You really have to have the momentum. You have to, like, halfway going down a hill before you have to go back up. You get off all of the brakes so you have momentum and then just gas it up the hill and hope you don't run out of speed. Cool. Cool. Um, here's an interesting question I just kind of thought of in general and is something, almost a reoccurring thought that we have what is one thing that you feel like you do well on a motorcycle 
It could be it could be hills, it could be track, um, whatever. I tend to be very consistent with lines. That's I'm very smooth with lines and incredibly consistent. Like when people talk like tell me stuff they're like you always do the exact same line and that tends to be because I've done thousands of laps at a track literally but, um, literally thousands of laps yeah um, but I tend to be smooth okay what's one th- what's the one thing that you can think of that you would like to improve upon with your writing I don't commit fast corners, like full open throttle corners, like big wide open corners. I don't commit to them as much as I probably should. What do you mean by commit? So there's some corners where most people roll off or like give it slightly less throttle. So you are not going through this, this over 180 degree corner, uh, you're so you're going through this corner and so it's definitely a corner you can go through wide open but I don't go through there wide open I don't have the confidence in the bike to go through there wide open so there's some places on tracks where I just don't have the confidence to commit to doing that why don't you have that confidence do you think is it something with the bike or is it something mental? Some of it is with the bike. Depending on the bike, I'll do different stuff. Also the speeds, like you go to a bike that's faster. And so depending on the bike, I'll go faster or slower through places, depending how confident I am in those speeds. Um, and it's slightly mental. Like every so often you'll run off the track and crash and then suddenly your whole how you go through that corner is gone like you're good at that and then you go off track and crash and then you can't go through that corner anymore so a little bit of it is mental but a lot of it is depending on the bike and the speeds and when she's talking about speeds i'll have her tell this could could you give a, a horsepower rundown of say horsepower on the the 70 which you started on and then the nsf 100 which was your bike last year and the the super bike which was your bike last year so like horsepower comparisons um, between those three bikes so the 70 had three and a half so nice and and gentle and then the nsf had eight and a half ish that's more so about over twice as much it's it's more um and then the superbike which is what i'm riding right now has about we think about 16 15 to 16 that's more still yeah so so it's in a klx 110 which is your everyday green tiny pit bike that you see in a ton of paddocks sometimes they're blue and then they're yamahas but they're normally green and so that size bike and uh that size bike normally has eight and a half horsepower eight and a half to 11 horsepower depending on the bike and putting 16 horsepower through the chassis doesn't work well all the time so there's a lot more chassis flex than you generally want and on on the bike and i'm gonna do some math here how much does your bike does that bike weigh 
About. 165, about. So with you and the bike, we're a little over 200? Yeah, we're at 270-ish, I think. So that is effectively like my car having 150 horsepower, which is not a small amount, (laughs) especially when you're on... One, something that you physically have to lean (laughs) as you go around corners. But two, on the size of track that you guys are racing on, we're like, when we talk about like a long, fast corner, we're talking about like the carousel at Road America. We're talking about huge, long ones. You're not, you're not talking of that scale. You're talking a lot tighter. Yeah, the the tracks are a lot tighter. And uh, for perspective on that horsepower, running race tires on uh, the KLX Superbike, the biggest problem the kids had in the last endurance race is when they get on the throttle, it spins the rear tire up. Um, So coming out of corners, uh, the rear tire would spin up and chatter. And what they're trying to do right now, we're trying to tune the chassis so that when they spin the rear tire up, because it has more horsepower than then a proper race lick will be able to handle at the speeds they're at. So when the rear tire spins up, it spins up smoothly and they can control the bike through it. So this is this is 10 through 15 year olds working on um, spinning the tire and sliding the bike every time they go through corners. So it's Pretty. as a parent, it's kind of horrifying to watch. But uh, there's a there's a phenomenal skill set going on. Yeah, that's. I've seen videos. Uh, yeah, sliding something with two wheels makes is exceptional to watch. Makes me incredibly nervous because I don't ride bikes. <laughs> yeah, you once you do it enough, it's not as bad. The XR100 does it all the time, and it doesn't actually slide, which is the scary part. It chatters, so right. it hops across the ground as it slides and catches. Yeah. So I rode that for two months over the winter. And so any other bike that slides is like, oh, this is manageable. It's not as scary as the XR100 is. Nice. Well, it's a teaching opportunity. Yeah. Now, you said early on in this show that it's kind of cool and exciting for you to be doing something that your friends don't do. Um, as you've gotten better and more knowledgeable about bikes riding them and things like that have you found that confidence or that that skill set has served you at school at home um with all your friendships has has that trickled over at all for you um there's a lot of stuff i'm definitely more confident and also a lot of the people in bikes are adults especially adult males Mm. So talking to adults, I'm a lot better with talking to adults because suddenly you're talking to adults like they're your peers in motorcycles. So you talk to adults a lot more. So talking to teachers now, especially, it's a lot easier. And, That's a um, first. <laughs> and actually, I'm doing school from home right now. Sure. So there's a lot less human interaction currently. So, yeah, that that is a a thing that <laughs> we get to live through right now. Um, 
And how has that ability to be able to talk to adults served you? Uh, what What's that really done for you? There's a lot of stuff, like when teachers ask you questions, there's always that, like, I don't really want to say no or something. And so having talking to adults, there's a lot of stuff where I can, like, an adult will ask me, like, do you want to do this? I can confidently say no if I don't want to now. Like, I can be like, no, don't want to. Too bad. Like, not happening. Um, which wasn't a thing that I did before as much. But now there's a lot more of like, yeah, I, I don't think I really want to do that. The confidence to say no is something a lot of adults, uh, I think, could could learn <laughs> could learn to do better. Yeah. Um, so what's, I guess what's next? I don't, again, like my, my knowledge inside the motorcycle world is limited, uh, to say the least. Do, are you going to stay on the type of bikes that you're on for a while? Do you move up in class? Do you go to a different track now? I mean, what's, what's next? Do you move to Europe and just start doing that thing? One thing is, like, most people, when they get their kids into bikes, are like, you're going to be a world champion. You're going to be the best. And the one thing that we did was, like, you're not doing this as a living. That's, that's not a thing <laughs> that, Straight out. that happens. Yeah. Like, that's that's not your career. Um, you do things with that you make actual money. Um, and really, I'm way too small to do anything on big bikes. So, like, people do it, but it's really hard. So, a lot of people move their kids up to big bikes. And so, I don't do that. No desire to. What's at and, all. and what would a big bike be? It'd be... So, street bikes, they're, like, 300s. Like, the sport bikes all the way up to the 1,000s are, are big bikes. Those are... So, I have no desire at all to do those. On big tracks. Sure. Doesn't sound fun. Like, I crash at going 30, and that's that's painful enough. I don't want to crash going 100. That's, no. Not, yeah, don't want to do that. A uh, 100 at best. That's, uh, <laughs> can easily yeah, be, that's, easily that's a be good doing, day. Easily be doing more than that. What, um, so that's, and that's something interesting, especially for someone at your age, you know, you've, You've crashed multiple times. Um, oh, I've crashed a lot. You've, I think you've gotten away with no major injuries so far. Is that right? Yeah, nothing, no broken bones yet. Okay. That's, yet. that's, uh, I'm sure that'll come at some point. Okay. Well, don't get, that's, don't that's get inevitable. back on the bike and ride an endurance stent because anybody who does that's just, really not smart um yeah that's that's crazy yeah it it is and you should keep the microphone so he doesn't have anything to say about it (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but um what what's that experience because i mean i've i've had a few taps with the car and i've not enjoyed those um for me or the other drivers but I have a metal shell with a full roll cage Hans device uh, fire system things. I mean, I'm 
I'm inside of a car, a well-prepped safe car. You, if something goes wrong, you literally fly off of the bike and your body meets the ground and maybe the bike again and maybe somebody else's bike along the way if you're really unlucky. What <laughs> do you what do you do? Like do you get back on? Do you how do you recover from something like that? Um I've crashed enough. I don't know, you just it's part of riding a motorcycle is you're going to crash. So it's a part of of doing it. And so really, really, you crash. I've crashed enough just, like, by myself alone. That's fine. The, the real issue is when there's another person. And so as soon as you have two people, it gets dangerous. I've had one of those collisions. I was about um, to ask. Yeah, so I had one of those. We've discussed it before. I got run into. Not a lot my fault. I could have done things better. Um... But normally you crash completely alone by yourself. Like other people will be there, but you're not crashing into anyone. True. And you're wearing head-to-toe safety protection, and you slide across the ground, and then you generally get back up and continue on. I will say it was a little weird. Um, It's always a little bit strange to be standing there with three other sets of parents realizing that uh, it's almost a certainty that at least one of our kids is going to crash motorcycle today. And somehow we're all fine with that. Um, I think every kids, every race we've had the kids on, they've crashed, right? At least. Our very first race, we didn't. Ah, their very first race, nobody crashed. Since then, <laughs> somebody's crashed in every race they've done. Um, and to be honest, it's no different with the adults. The, the endurance team that, that I race with we crash prob- we crash at least once probably 70% of the time and if you had you know four people stand around and go cool rock paper scissors to see who falls off the motorcycle that would be completely insane and yet we sort of without without saying it out loud we've all accepted that um, that there's a reasonable chance somebody's going to fall off or there's a reasonable chance one of our kids is going to fall off um, yeah, when I say it out loud, it sounds very strange. Yeah, it literally just comes with the territory. If you ride bikes and you try to get better on bikes on a track, you will fall. Yeah. Yeah, it's guaranteed. Yeah. All right. Well, creepy indeed. And you said that after you fall on a certain portion of the track, the next time around, it's a little bit harder to go around that one corner yeah can you tell me what that's like mentally you know like that you've done it before so you're always kind of careful in that spot the next time around because you're like well i don't want to do that again and that's part of just your brain going like dude you can't like this is wrong clearly this you shouldn't be doing this 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 is dumb why are uh, we doing you should yeah so you you're you mentally, you mentally know it's not what what it's supposed to be. And so, like, it takes you a while to get back up to speed. And one of the ways 
We help with that is after we crash every time, as long as we're not seriously injured, we do three or four more laps. And as long as the bike isn't uh, damaged at, with that note as well, um, we do two or three more laps to be like, okay, the track is fine, I'm fine, the bike is fine, everything's okay, and uh, now we're fine. Have you ever not done that? Um, a couple times. A few times. It happens every so often. Like, you'll you'll bend something on the bike, and then you can't actually ride it. Mm-hmm. Um, but normally, normally I do. And why do you prefer to ride more laps than fewer after a, a wreck? Really, it's to get your mind back in a place where you know it's okay to be back on track. So your brain is like, oh, okay, maybe this is okay that we're doing this, even though that was painful and definitely, like, we could have done it differently. It's just to get you back in a place where you know it's going to be okay the next session you go out or the in a few more days when you go back out. Hmm. Now, I've I've seen some pictures, but you help maintain and prepare the motorcycles is that right yes i did i did for the first time before our first race weekend does that help you get into does that help you trust the bike more does that help you like now that you know how like these little tiny bolts hold everything together does that weirdly freak you out or does having more knowledge of how that things work does that help you one thing is with motorcycles that like it happens on cars but cars are big so it's normally okay is like stuff falls apart every so often like a bolt will rattle out and poof it's gone forever because it's somewhere on the track so you always know the bike is will rattle apart somewhat but safety wiring it you're like okay i know this is good and especially once you pass tech you're like yes i've accomplished something I'm good at this, and the bike is safe because he gave me a sticker, and uh, and I did it, so this is good. Sticker means I'm good. Yes. Nice. So you don't want to do this for a living because that that's just that'd just be silly. Um, what what do you want to do? I don't know. Something in engineering. Although currently one of the kids that I know is multi cha- multi-class champion in America right now on mini bikes is moving to Spain and theoretically in the next few years I'll go over there and be his caretaker. So that that might happen. We'll see. Hmm. That sounds dope actually. <laughs> Always yeah, to so Spain. like when you watch when you watch Formula One or anything, like they always have like the one person that follows them around and makes sure their place is on time. Yeah. And they get food and sleep and everything. So I'd be basically that to a thirteen year old boy yeah. in Spain. His, as we know, thirteen year old boys need caretaking and they need managing, so why not you? Yeah, and also I've hung out with him and apparently i can handle him for long enough and he sort of listens to me so that helps as well that's that's virtually a superpower 
Um, so g- yeah. good for you. <sighs> so bikes, maybe cars, probably some engineering in there, and you know how to talk to adults. What's something that you feel like and maybe even more than one thing what are some pearls of wisdom that you Sonia have learned or come across in racing that you would want to gift to other people either getting into it for the first time or still trying to learn get better themselves what are the one or a few different things that you feel like you can offer to other people uh, one thing we've learned, my dad normally says this, is uh, if you're getting into bike racing, the first bike you get is will be wrong, no matter what. You think it's right, it'll be wrong eventually. And uh, it's easiest when you get a bike that you can ride for a few months to a year and then sell for about the same price. So it's always going to be wrong at, at some point. It may take longer, but it'll be wrong. And uh, you, another thing is, Practice, like, seriously. Like, for cars, you do track days and stuff. But with bikes, we practice so much more than cars do. Like, you do. when I think of cars, I'm like, but but you pay money to go practice, and then you pay more money to race, and there's so much money in there. When we, when we pay money, probably way less money uh, to, <laughs> than what it's worth. To go ride thousands and thousands of laps a year. Fact. I mean, that's just a fact. <laughs> the uh, yeah, the price the price differential between a automotive track day and from what I hear, even a karting day, motors whatever, it's just orders of magnitude more. That's the literal truth. Um, the expensive kart track we go to, if you're paying by the day it's uh, 75 dollars per person for the day so cheap. And you just uh, and you know you'll run um we do 20 minute sessions we alternate with a cart so if you got there when it opened you could probably run eight sessions in the day and the sessions are 15 20 minutes 15 to 20 minutes long so roughly what you do in a car so we're doing you know minute and a bit laps but how many um, sessions so like eight or ten sessions in a day. Good God! <laughs> for seventy-five bucks. That is so many. So the 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 wisdom that she dropped there about the, the whatever motorcycle you buy will be wrong um, is actually something that uh, car people need to apply way more often. Um, it, it the reason I the reason I always say you know people are like what bike should I buy and I always say it doesn't matter buy something that that can get you on track go ride it and then figure out what you want to do next the most important thing is to get something to get on track and more car people should should be doing that you know we hear car people though what what car should i do this or my car is not ready or yada yada it whatever car you start with um unless you're scott and you start with a miata and it's the perfect car whatever it's car the answer you start with it is the answer. But whatever car you start with is is in general wrong. You're not going to spend your entire driving career in the first car you decide to autocross. So don't worry about it. Get something that works and get on track or on the autocross course 
or whatever and go do it. The act of doing it is way, way, way more important than the car or the motorcycle that you do it with. Um, and I think that's the, hopefully that's the takeaway my, my kid has from this is that, that participating in something is more important than, than the tool you use to participate in it with. Even though like we love motorcycles and cars, right? Like I have 13 motorcycles in the garage. I was about I to reiterate that. <laughs> Yeah, like I love motorcycles and 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 I love cars. We've gone over my car history before, and I th I'm sure at this point I've owned more cars at one time than you've owned since the beginning. Yeah, um, yeah. we're off awfully close anyway. Yeah, um, I believe totally and, believe and that. So, I, yeah, I have a deep, loving passion for the machinery, and I will still tell you it doesn't matter when it comes to driving things on track. Um, what matters is that you're doing it uh, rather than what you're doing it with um, because that's that's how and and with motorcycle racing this is true like this is we motorcycle race because we like hanging out with motorcycle racers um, we like the act of motorcycle racing but but these are the people I want to hang out with um, and the car people the grid life people those are the people I want to hang out with and and the cars and the bikes and the track time end up merely being a, a path to which I can hang out with my favorite people in the world. Um, and that's really the important part is the all of these goofy people that I've introduced my my daughter to and uh, these the places we've gone and and all those experiences and the people that we've experienced them with is way more important than which bike she's done it on. I guess that'd be a good question for you, Sonia, is what have you found the people who go to racetracks, whether they're the kids or the adults, how do you find that they're different from other people? And what do you like about them because they do that? A lot of the people think a lot about things. Like, they're like, okay, we write this down, we know exactly what we're doing, and either they're like that, or they're like, I don't know, the bike does things, and it's good. Like, we kind of are. Like, it's like, uh, it works today, yay! And there's other people who are like, this is how the bike works, this is why it works, these are the temperatures, and the weather conditions, and so there's a wide range of people that do it, mm. which otherwise you wouldn't get in your daily life, mm. which is really interesting. Hmm. that is really interesting and there's something for you about the joy of as your dad was just saying the joy of participating the joy of like being a part of the racing that seems like that would be something that would keep you in it for the love of doing it rather than keeping you in it to perform well does that make sense yeah. yeah so i do it just because the racing is good not because i'm fast and better than everyone else sure even though i'm sure you like being faster than everyone yeah else. that's fun <laughs> um i'm not sure i know of it, the next question Seth, is there something you'd like to 
ask your daughter that you might want to know? Yeah, so the the question that I think a lot of parents have, whether they, they have like world champion dreams for their kid or whatever, is um, how much of your life are you going to shape around your racing? And I think adults have the same question too. But for kids, if you're 15, 16, 17 years old, you have big decisions coming up. Uh, are you going to go to college? Where are you going to go to college? Um, what's going to happen with this? And um, racing can affect a lot of that. When we were talking to, to Andrew Raines, that's one of the reasons he chose his, uh, his major, right? Mm-hmm. Because he wanted to be around cars. And uh, a lot of people that we've talked to chose colleges because they had a Formula SAE program associated with their engineering and they wanted to participate in Formula SAE. And so I'll throw at my, my kid here, how do you think your, uh, your love of racing and your participation in racing is likely to shape those choices, a.k.a. do I need to save money for college for you? Yeah, and before you answer that, that's a super dad question right there. So, <laughs> Yeah, definitely, definitely racing... Racing in general has made me think more about going into automotive stuff because especially like motorcycles, there's money. In cars, there's a lot of money. Like all the rich people go to cars. Like motorcycle people are have some money, but the car people have a lot of money. Yeah. So for better or worse, definitely I'll I'll go to college. Don't worry. Um. Um. But, yeah, thinking more about automotive stuff instead of building bridges because the automotive stuff seems more exciting than, and there's so many different paths you can take through that. For sure. Well, good. Well, thank you for taping time out of your Monday evening, which, uh, as I know from Seth, is also chore evening. Um, so I, I hope that you were able to get out of some of those, at least temporarily. I, I, I did those. Don't worry. Oh. I, I still have to do those. Yeah, well, I'm... I have to get paid somehow. Ah, fa- I mean, buys motorcycle parts, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, well, I just got enough money to pay back for the motorcycle that I bought, so... There is that. Uh, indentured servitude, I understand. Well, <laughs> well, thank you anyways for uh, for talking with us. Is there is there any place where people can like go follow the weird motorcycle racing that um that you all do? Um, there's some stuff on Facebook. I know a lot less about this than you'd think I would. Um, but who are you on Instagram? I am small biker eight on Instagram. You can go follow me. All um, all one word, small biker eight. Yeah, yep, all one word. I'm gonna do it. The number eight, small biker number eight. I just learned this like a week ago. <laughs> good, good plug there. Good. Well, thank you. I appreciate I appreciate you kind of sharing your wisdom and your experience with us. Um, the way that you kind of think through definitely analytically and 
with that same kind of scientific mindset that your dad has uh, is it's pretty interesting to see and I'm glad that it seems like you found something that resonates with your uh <laughs> your competitive nature but also your uh your love of just being involved yeah this was this was great to be on the podcast thanks for having yeah. me again thanks for being on again <laughs> yeah again all right well we are what i was gonna say thanks for recording this time scott yeah yeah you, I, I appreciate that you're welcome Seth <laughs> we are at track walking podcast on Instagram and Facebook uh, if you could please leave us a uh, rating review five star one star preferably five but if you must uh, it just does help other people uh, to find us and we like being found at track walking chats on Facebook is kind of our discussion group if you have something in that you feel is interesting to share please do and uh, as always, we'll be back next week with some sort of weird in-depth topic that we, uh, we tend to come up with. So for the three of us here tonight, I'm Scott. I'm Seth. And I'm Sonia. And we are track walking. Thanks a lot. <laughs>